as intuitive as it may sound and feel, we all need to remember maybe to practice Blue Mind daily, especially in this world that never stops throwing red mind at us. It really doesn't. You know, the screens, the information, the traffic, the noise, the to-do list, the, if you're empathetic at, at all, you're being pulled mm -hmm. in so many ways. The second you wake up, I even have dreams about the things I'm concerned about in the world that are beyond my household and community that are out there. And so that, that will take its toll. So you really need to remember to practice Blue Mind every day. Get yourself to your water in whatever form it comes in. It doesn't have to be a Pacific Ocean uh, <laughs> or a Great Lake or Mountain River. It can be a cold plunge or a float spa or just taking a mindful shower in your own mm -hmm. home or putting on a recording of ocean waves. Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. Today, we're going to go into a deep journey of our blue planet and water world as I open a conversation with one of my newest idols. I don't use this term lightly. It's just not often that I come across someone that so closely mirrors my view of the world and who has worked so diligently to bring their perspective into the world through their work, through their life, and the reach of the many individuals they would hope to inspire, myself included. It's my honor and privilege to introduce Dr. Wallace J. Nichols. He's a blue mind thinker, a marine biologist, and like me, a turtle nerd. He has been called a water warrior, one who commits to helping others across their blue mind state. His visionary ideas related to ocean and aquatic ecosystems, migratory species, marine protected areas, fisheries management, and plastic pollution inspire others to find a deeper connection with nature and embrace inventive approaches to issues that we really see ranging from protection of ocean life to global water supply issues to the mental health benefits of a life spent on, near, or in the water. Are you beginning to see how we align? Turtle nerd indeed. Now, Dr. Nichols was formerly a senior scientist at Ocean Conservancy and holds a MEM, MEM degree in natural resource economics and policy from Duke. He also has a PhD in wildlife ecology and evolutionary biology from the University of Arizona. From his many research fellowships to the more than 200 publications he's authored, to the lectures he's given in all 50 states and 30 countries around the globe, to his extensive media tours, he truly is a blue mind thinker. He joins me today to talk about his work and specifically his book, a national bestseller, Blue Mind, the surprising science that shows how being near, in, on, or underwater can make you happier, healthier, more connected, and better at what you do. Wow. So with that, I'll invite him to the stage. Dr. Wallace J. Nichols. Hi. Hi, fellow turtle nerds. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I have been a scuba diver for a long, long time. And my first trip to Hawaii to dive, I was there on business. 
the sales rep I was working with had gifted me a dive with one of their friends who was a scuba master. We went on this dive and my goal was like, I want to see a turtle. I want to see a turtle. I want to see a turtle. And I kept not seeing one, kept not seeing one, kept not seeing one. And this moment I got entranced by one of the coral reefs and I was just closely looking at this nudibranch I saw kind of nestled in the rock. And all of a sudden I feel this tap on my shoulder and I turned to the left and it's a sea turtle. Oh, wow. <laughs> and literally stayed with me for the entire dive. I was underwater for about 35 minutes that stretch and it just followed me around like it was a friend. And so I have a series of photos and with this sea turtle, my first that I ever really encountered underwater. It speaks to me to this day. I can understand that and have similar stories and have heard our fellow turtle lovers of those kinds of encounters and the, the transformative aspect of that, which you have to do it to really understand. But the turtle taps you on the shoulder, you answer, right? I guess that's the... <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's every dive out to the ocean waters of uh, islands. I, I tend to see them. It's almost like they gravitate to me, but... I've also been diving for more than 20 years now, and I've seen some of their health collapse and like tumors and things like that coming out of them. And um, it's been an alarming adventure and also a really giving adventure along the way. And so I'm sure we'll dig into that a bit yeah. as we yes. connect. Yeah. I really would love to start this conversation with you learning how you became a marine biologist of all things, because that was my goal in life when I was six years old. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> well, it was mine too. And I just stuck with it, I guess. Maybe that's mm. that's the thing. The doors kind of kept opening. But I, I think I came to my love of water for slightly different reasons than most marine biologists in that I, I felt better near mm. the water, in the water and under the water. And I, not to say that life on land was terrible, but I was shy and introvert. Mm -hmm. And I stuttered. I've gotten over that. I was sort of curious and confused about my place in the universe, being adopted, had big questions about where I was from. But when I was in the water, I felt whole kind of, and I felt quiet and I felt at peace with myself. People don't ask you questions underwater that you have to stutter through to answer. And so I just kept gravitating towards any kind of water. And swimming pools, lakes, rivers, oceans, and bathtub. And that was my happy place. And when I learned that you could, you know, kind of sign up for this career that was all about water, uh, <laughs> I said, well, that sounds pretty, like a pretty good idea. Turtles don't ask you questions either. And so I started down that path and then just kind of kept going. And uh, it's led to some of my, well, my best friends and beloved experiences and, I guess my life's purpose. Yeah. Well, I don't think you'd find it entirely surprising that as an ocean lover too, I ended up going to UC Santa Cruz <laughs> and staying local to the central coast. But I've had a couple of moments just arrive in my hands that like that experience with that turtle that are deeply connected to the ocean that I will forever hold as treasures. And when I hear from people who live middle of the country and have never been able to get to our, our shores and experience the ocean firsthand, I often find myself thinking about these moments and just wondering what it would be like to have never had the experience of 
being near the majesty of the, uh, a coast when there's a storm coming in and you are expressly shown how out of control you are <laughs> of, right. of, this great, of this great body of water. And also just as you start to learn more that it is the ultimate life giver and what makes our planet so unique. Yeah. I just, I completely am in awe of your career trajectory <laughs> and also just have empathy for what led you there too, because it's, I'm of a similar mind. Excellent. <laughs> so talk to us about what the blue mind is. What is blue mind? Well, that, you know, it really started with that, that feeling I had when I was a kid and I didn't have a name for it. I couldn't really explain it to my family and my friends, but I knew that it was important to me. I didn't know if I was the only one who felt that way, but I knew that I needed to be around water therapeutically, I guess. Mm -hmm. And fast forward, I'm being a marine biologist, doing my thing, it's going well, publishing articles and research papers on turtles and being invited to conferences like Bioneers to speak about the ocean. And I started wondering what that pull really was that water has, you know, water in all of its forms. And I, I thought, well, if it's pulled me through my life, it's got to be pretty interesting. And, and I've met lots of other people who felt that way. And so I went looking for a book about basically your brain on water, kind of like other books that are about your brain on music or your brain on happiness or mm -hmm. a whole variety of things. And I couldn't find the book I wanted to read. And I tried to get some smart people to write it, the book, and offered <laughs> my assistance. Uh, I'd do anything to help and so that I could read that book that I thought would be so useful. And I was not successful in convincing anyone that they should write it until I pitched it to Dr. Oliver Sacks, who mm. is one of my intellectual heroes. And it turns out he's a water lover, lifelong water lover, music lover, brilliant scientist and communicator and writer and thinker, a poet scientist. And he said at a book event in San Francisco, he said, it's a fine idea. You do it. And I was really hoping he would say, it's a fine idea. I'll do it himself. <laughs> <laughs> and in that moment, I remember what I said to him was, yes, sir, I'll do it. But what I thought inside my head was, oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> this because now you have your order in a way, like yeah, you knew you had to, right? It was not, a, it did not land as a suggestion. It was a kind of a command, not a nudge. And so five years later, I brought him a copy, hardcover, first printing, first edition, signed copy of Blue Mind to his office in New York. He passed uh, a few years later. And by the way, he wrote a lovely book called Gratitude, his, his final contribution, just lovely meditations on end of life and his remaining big ideas. And so that's how I, I got going, thanks to Oliver, Dr. Sachs. And it took me five years because I was an evolutionary biologist and a wildlife ecologist and a conservation problem solver. Um, not a neuropsychologist. So I needed to kind of run around and start attending a different kind of science conference and started holding my own meetings called the Blue Mind Summits. And the first one was in San Francisco at Cal Academy. And we did our 13th just this past year in partnership with Columbia University and learning and listening and asking these big, juicy questions about what's going on with water and inviting the top 
neuroscientists, psychologists, and water people. And that kind of formed the basis and the meat of the writing of, of Blue Mind. I wove in some poetry and some prose and some history and a few song lyrics and all these different kinds of references that you come across in life to essentially this idea that water uh, soothes us and it, it takes care of us emotionally and spiritually. So that's how it came about, but I probably should explain what Blue Mind is, <laughs> uh, not just <laughs> that it's a book. It's a phrase, two words, that refers to that feeling you get when you're near, in, on, or underwater that makes you feel calm, compassionate, maybe a little courageous even, creative, connected, coherent, all these C words. And you can probably add a few C words to the list. And it is a neurological response. It's a mildly meditative response that we have, obviously, when we want to be there. It's a yeah. very different situation if you're thrown in a pool or the water is leaking through your roof or coming flooding into your home. That's a different, that's red mind, actually. Yeah. So that's the blue mind story and kind of a, a quick ramp up to where we are. Yeah. Well, you know, as I looked at the book cover and thought about my relationship with water, like just even looking at the book cover, because I heard on another podcast, you say the reason behind the very long subtitle <laughs> was that even if somebody just passed this book by the, and they picked it up and looked at it for a second, that they could have the impact of at least the initial thinking behind it to get people to understand how important it really is to our health and happiness to our state of mind and that this really does imply you know what you're working to do here now as somebody who has also felt drawn to water my entire life i don't feel i can live far from the ocean i have family members who have relocated to colorado as a for example and while it's beautiful there and there are many rivers and things like that i just feel like my body becomes parched when i'm away from the ocean. I also empathize with your call to action from your mentor saying like, look, no, you go out and you write it. Because as I was thinking about developing this podcast, I got that same match lit under my tush to say, okay, not only do you need to go do this, but I'm going to pay for the production fee for your intro, outro and first episode. <laughs> so it was like here and here's your deadline in two months. And so, you know, what did that do? I got out there and I just did it. And sometimes along the way, you learn by doing. Attending those medical conferences, I'm sure you learned a lot, not only about yourself and this journey, but the way that the brain reacts to our environment, the way that water, even just in its flowing state, you know, you think about these things with meditation often along a babbling brook, or you integrate a fountain into a space, or you're cautioned to drink more water, to be more healthy, to have healthy cells and all these things. Like water is imperative for life. And the just being around it on the coast or by a riverfront or by a lake or on or under it, like you do get different feelings that that happen within. I personally, as a young kid, I learned to swim underwater first, right? Like it was hard for me to stay on top of the water. So I would swim under the water. And the thing that I felt most limited by was this thing I had to come up and breathe. And why couldn't I just stay under longer, which is what led me to want to be a scuba diver, right? Like very comfortable underwater. 
didn't have the same issues that some scuba divers do when they initially learn of feeling claustrophobic in that space. I was just like, great, I have this underwater breathing apparatus. I can just do this for as long as my tank is going to last. What have you learned along the way in and under water that you think can benefit an audience that might first be introduced to this topic? There will be people who are listening who will think, okay, that's just so obvious <laughs> and intuitive. And I felt that my whole life. And there will be people who are listening will say, huh, that's kind of, I think I need to do more water stuff. And then there are the people who know it, but haven't gotten wet in a while or haven't <laughs> gone to the water in a while who need the nudge. And I, I do too. You know, I wrote this book and I say during the pandemic and during the wildfires, I needed to be reminded to take better care of myself and to get out of my red mind and gray mind, which is burnout, and practice this blue mind thing. I wrote a book about it, but I still needed the reminder. So as universal of an idea as this is, and I point out that the concept of blue mind has been around since the beginning of recorded human history. Every culture, every sacred text, every spiritual tradition talks about water, not just for hydration and hygiene, but for to soothe our souls and or some other words are used across all traditions. So I think as intuitive as it may sound and feel, we all need to remember maybe to practice blue mind daily, especially in this world that never stops throwing red mind at us. It really doesn't, you know, the screens, the information, the traffic, the noise, the to-do list, the, if you're empathetic at, at all, you're being pulled mm -hmm. in so many ways. The second you wake up, I even have dreams about the things I'm concerned about in the world that are beyond my household and community that are out there. And so that, that will take its toll. So you really need to remember to practice Blue Mind every day. Get yourself to your water in whatever form it comes in. It doesn't have to be a Pacific Ocean <laughs> uh, or a Great Lake or Mountain River. It can be a cold plunge or a float spa or just taking a mindful shower in your own mm -hmm. home or putting on a recording of ocean waves, ideally that you made when you were at the ocean. Those are the best recordings, the ones you make yourself or uh, reading some Mary Oliver poetry about water or Pablo Neruda about the mm -hmm. ocean, two of my favorites. That will all help you get into a blue mind state every day. So I guess what simple question that you asked, long answer, but what I've learned is that we, whether we understand this concept or not, we all need to practice it more and we need reminders and we need friends who will say, hey, let's go. Hey, let's yeah. go for a dive. Let's go for a walk to the water. Let's go for a swim. Let's go for a soak and just checking in with each other because we all know someone who's really stuck right now, like super stuck. We know their name. We know where they live. We probably know their couch that they're glued to. And it's a crisis, really. Uh, young people, adults, all ages. So practice Blue Mind daily. Remind yourself and take somebody with you is kind of the message for 2024. And turns out it does good things for your health. And that reconnection to our waters does good things for the waters because that water gives you your life back and renews you, you want to return the favor and take better care of it, which may mean cleaning it up, keeping things out of it, 
protecting it in a variety of ways. So we need water warriors, we need water protectors, we need a few billion more. <laughs> so this is one way we're getting there. Well, it's unavoidable for me to think about the things that we're doing wrong. As I hear you say these beautiful things too, to your point, like we need more water warriors. I invited on this podcast a few months back, Simon Setra, who wrote this book called The New Fish, which was originally produced in Norwegian, but Yvonne Chouinard of Patagonia felt it was so important that he introduced it to Patagonia Press and had it translated into English talking about how we are farming salmon in open net pens and the dramatically terrible things that that does to the water and the ecosystems. I know that you're an advocate for doing these things more smartly <laughs> and perhaps, you know, letting our oceans rest as you are an advocate for really these great open spaces and allowing more of our productive oceans to recover. Recently, I was blessed to be able to meet Jean-Michel Cousteau, you know, and, and connect with him in Southern California and Santa Barbara and go out on the ocean and see how beautiful the water is there, how productive. But that doesn't come without some pretty significant protections in place. And without significant protections in place, then we have waters that are reducing in their productivity and acidity that continues to climb and, you know, things like global warming, which we're all pretty aware of becoming worsening issues. So for those advocates that are listening today, are there any particular things that you think that they should be paying attention to or ways that they can support the initiative to protect our oceans and our waterways. Yeah, you know, if somebody is listening and they're already an ocean advocate, thank you for the work that you're doing. There are so many issues that are specific to our own backyards and that are also global. And no one person can do it all. We, we need everyone working on their thing. And I, I focused on sea turtles a lot with some great successes. I highly recommend picking a place or a species that needs some help and just biting down hard on that issue and not letting go for the rest of your life. Whether it's as a volunteer, as a donor, as a docent, as a cheerleader, or as a scientist, as an, an activist or ad advocate, the short attention span stuff and jumping around from issue to issue can feel good, but it, what we really need are people who just don't ever give up, you know, become unstoppable for your animal or your place. That works. I'd say everything that has a success story behind it at its core has the turtle hugger or the, yeah. you know, the tree hugger, the person that everybody said you're crazy, but as a result of their over-the-top passion, which I highly recommend, species still exist, forests remain, coastlines are protected. And so pick your thing and dig into that. It's good that, you know, I guess you can spread around your, your love here and there and sign petitions and promote things, but really get your hands dirty on the thing that really keeps you up at night, that really lights you up. And keep falling in love. I mean, that it is our superpower. Absolutely. Fear isn't. It just, and being bombarded with facts that confuse you, it tires us out. Uh, yelling at each other exhausts us. We will burn out. So if you are an advocate for water, rivers, lakes, oceans. The message that I like to share that isn't 
heard enough is please take care of your heart. Please take care of your body. Please take care of your mind and your soul and those around you because you're not useful if you burn out. Your creativity goes out the window. Your courage goes away. Your compassion shrinks. You become aggro and you, your body quits, your mind quits. So we need creative problem solvers who have compassion, even sometimes for our enemies. And that's really hard to do. So you got to stay whole. And I think there's no better way to do that than just jumping in the water as much as you can <laughs> and find, you know, going out. If you can go out with Jean-Michel Cousteau on the ocean, man, that'll brighten up your mind. Well, you can snor snorkel with turtles too. That's, you know, really a big reset. Yeah. yeah, huge reset. There's a reason that I'm drawn to the Hawaiian Islands and it mostly is related to the turtle because here on the central coast of California, even though I'm in, you know, Monterey isn't that far. I've never seen a sea turtle underwater there. You know what I mean? Like plenty of little sea otters tugging at my fins or um, getting tangled up in stuff and, and seals and, and maybe some skates and sharks and things like that. But um, yet to see a turtle here. Now, one of the things that Jean-Michel Cousteau says that echoes everything that you just shared is that he's often asked, what is your favorite dive or what is the best dive you've been on? And he says the next one. And then he often will say that it's just an imperative that we never give up. I will never stop. I will never give up. And so at this event, which occurred in Santa Barbara at the Ritz-Carlton Baccarat, that it was 78 years of diving and discovery. And he's like, well, actually, it's 79 now and soon to be 80. I mean, he's been diving since he was nine years old. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at my son, who is nine in a week, and will soon be 10. And once he's 10, I can start the process of getting him scuba certified so that we can be on, in, and underwater together for the rest of my life. And I look at it, that as one of the ways that I can personally impart the importance of our ocean world and these ecosystems to the next generation of perhaps somebody who will become a scientist himself and follow in your footsteps, but to always understand and respect the power of the water in our lives. Recently too, I went and experienced a float myself. You mentioned this briefly, so I want to explain for people what these can be. So I personally think if I was landlocked that I would be a weekly frequent tubber, so to speak, with floater. a float, a floater, frequent floater. Is that what you'd call I, it? Yeah. I don't know. I just made that up. But like these are essentially these large tubs that are heated to just above your body temp and that they are full of really, really salinated water. So super salty and you float super easily and they operate somewhat like, what do you want to call it? deprivation chamber. So your sensations kind of drift away and it's, it helps people who have a hard time meditating to truly meditate. So you can float in the dark in this capsule and not really touch anything. It just feels like you're floating on air because when water is so close to your body temperature, you also don't really feel it the same way. That's right. It's such an incredible experience. So anybody who has yet to experience this, if you have a float in your neighborhood. In Santa Cruz, we have one called Equilibrium. They do cold plunges as well as these like floats that you can get into what I would call an altered mental state that is just very peaceful and calming and 
if you are bombarded by stresses, that this will help you to get to a, a blue mind state, even if it feels like it's near impossible. Another thing I will state is that just spending some time, you know, with that sound of water in the background, like what you have said, always helps to calm my nerves. And in fact, I sleep at night with a sound generator that has recorded rain playing on loop. So it's rain that fell at my home. <laughs> so it sounds like it's here. And it really helps me to be calm through the night and to go right back to sleep if I wake up. Sound sleep is something that benefits everybody after all. That's right. You just touched on, you answered a question that's very common. People ask, what if I don't live near the water? And mm -hmm. so we kind of go through this list of categories. I call them forms of water. So of course we have solid liquid gas. Well, we all learned that in grade school, but we have wild water, which is mm -hmm. the lakes, the rivers, the oceans. We have the domestic water, which is the tubs, the showers, the pools. So a float spa is in that category or your bathtub or swimming pool. We have urban water, which may be the fountains and the urban waterfronts. But then we also have, you touched on this already, the, the virtual water. So the sound recordings, the poetry, the art, the photography, the film, songs about water. So you can utilize all of that. And then the last big category is imaginary water. And we touched on that when you talked about mindfulness meditation. It's very common that you'll close your eyes. And if you're being led, someone will guide you to your water to visualize, imagine water. So there's no water in the room, but it's in your mind. And that helps you relax by imagining that you're, you're stepping up to the edge of the water you love. You're watching and listening to the waves. You're putting your feet in. So we can practice blue mind. We all can, where every day, wherever we are, even if you have that, that feeling, oh, I'm not, I'm not really near the ocean. So now what do I do? Never fear. We still have a blue scription for you and it <laughs> can be made out to be very specific to who you are, what you love and where you are. And I love working with people to create a personal blue scription. And I say, stick it on your refrigerator <laughs> and 23 minutes a day, the research suggests at least five days a week of blue mind and get back to me if it doesn't work wonders. You know, it doesn't solve all your problems. It doesn't cure everything, of course, but it really is transformative in this red-minded world that we're being bombarded with. So you mentioned 23 minutes a day, and sometimes people have a hard time finding five. So what do you do to help people who are perhaps that ultra busy, help them make time for that 23 minutes? Well, if you put it together, you, if you say, okay, you're going to take a shower or a bath, maybe a few times a week or more. Uh, <laughs> so utilize that time mindfully. So that counts. You may have a water sound that helps you go to sleep. That counts. You may walk to work, take a little longer and walk by the water and just pause. If you have a meeting, why not hold your meeting by a fountain? So there are many ways that we can integrate Blue Mind into our day and get our 23 minutes in by just slightly nudging what we already do. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I say 23 minutes, that the research actually says 20 minutes, but 23 just is a little bit weird. and Helps it stick in your mind. Yeah, and the <laughs> 23rd letter of the alphabet is W for water. Uh, makes it a little stickier. Well, that's but, full um, circle. And you shouldn't ever just feel bad if you don't reach your 23 minute goal. 
but 23 minutes, five days a week for a year is 100 hours. I tell my kids, if how many minutes a day do you do TikTok or Snapchat <laughs> or Instagram? It's sometimes more than 23. So borrow yeah, some I'm of sure. those minutes. I also ask them, what's the coolest thing that happened on social media this week? They don't remember. So that always makes my point pretty clearly when I talk to young people. It's very shallow and forgettable activity. So you will remember that cold plunge or that float, I promise, or that turtle swim or whatever the activities you enjoy that are more blue-minded. Well, I have to say, I live in Scotts Valley, not too far from where you are. And on my morning walk with my dogs, I take them over some creeks that are, you know, they're just, there's bridges that go over them and such because the water is almost always flowing just a little bit, right? And even just pausing there as I'm crossing the bridge, that's something. But I have what I call my little meditation spot. And every day as I make this loop, which goes up by 1440 multiversity, which I think you should absolutely have one of your Blue Mind Summits there, frankly. I agree. Selfishly, I want it to be there. But they have some beautiful fountains, water features, and it's in the redwoods. And so I kind of walk up around this loop and I stop by this natural creek that's almost always flowing. I put my hand on one of the redwoods there and I just like look up and say thank you. And I'm thanking just nature around me as part of my practice of daily gratitude. Because without all of this, there would be none of that, you know, none, none of this life. And so that's just my kind of brief moment among it. But I think I probably hit 23 minutes before, before 9am every day. Right. <laughs> so, you know, again, as somebody who's probably centered around water, it's almost like, it's like breathing, I can't not do it. Right? I agree. And you know, when you're out on those walks, pause, use the voice memo app on your smartphone, record the sound of the water, and then just text it to somebody and say, hey, this is for you. I recorded well, this. feels this. like a natural moment to mention your your blue gift that you sent to oh, me, yes. and which right. is mentioned and towards the end of your book. So let's talk about paying forward this blue mind with a million blue marbles. Yeah, you know, I was, this is over a decade ago, prior to the publication of Blue Mind, but as hit really hard with all the bad ocean news and mm -hmm. every ocean lecture i went to and even the ones i was giving just seemed so full of fear and guilt and dread and doom and gloom and i you know at the end of them we all just even those of us who were signed up to do this you know for life we all felt just deflated hopeless mm -hmm. and i recognized that among my peers and certainly in, in myself and I was giving a talk at the New England Aquarium in their big IMAX theater. And I thought, I can't do that again. I can't just fill a six-story screen with bad news. Yeah. So I was thinking about it. And a friend of mine went out to the local toy store and got all their blue marbles and brought them back to the aquarium. And so they look like this. They're just recycled glass. There's a tiny bit of color in there. I used to make them this color. And I gave them out to everybody who was coming into the lecture. And I wasn't really sure where this thing was going, but I, by the end of the lecture, it had, you know, in the back of my mind, I had formulated a little story. And lo and behold, the last slide was that famous Apollo NASA photograph of the, the first one of Earth from space, the most reproduced photograph of all time called the blue marble. And I had just given out all these blue marbles. 
And I suggested to everyone, they hold their blue marble up at arm's length and consider that it's about what we look like from a million miles away. And that we're a small blue marble where, you know, sort of Sagan-esque pale blue dot kind of story that everything we know has had blue dot or blue marble. And then I asked people to hold it to their heart and think of someone they want to say thank you to. And the request was go out and say thank you to someone who's doing good things for our blue planet, good things for our water planet. Put the marble in their hand, tell them your version of this story, what we've talked about today, and then ask them to pass it on. And the feedback I got from that lecture was not only positive, resoundingly positive and interested and buoyant and optimistic. And it really was very different than the gloom and doom vibe that a lot of the other experiences were, were feeling like. And so I did it again at the next time I spoke and again and again until we had given out a million blue marbles. People bought their own blue marbles and gave them out at their weddings and memorial services and bar mitzvahs and other events. So it just kind of started to go off into its own viral, I guess. But it, I, I call it, it's an analog social media. Right? So it's not a digital app. There's nothing inside there that tracks you. You don't have to upload your phone number or your email address. It's just person to person. These are kind of beautiful to look at and to look through. They're really, it's kind of interesting when you look at a light through your marble. It's a lesson in a marble. And you know, I, I remind people if, if that were seawater, it would have literally millions of organisms in it and virtually every known element in the universe in that much seawater. That's astounding. That's just kind of mind blowing when you think of the entire ocean and all the lakes and the rivers full of that much life, just reverberating all the time, full of life. And that's just the little stuff. So the blue marble has become the kind of the iconic symbol of blue mind. And they just get passed from person to person where there's no way to know how many people have touched a blue marble, but I can say Jane Goodall has received them. Nina Simons has received probably several. Paul Hawkins received blue marbles, Sylvia Earle, the Dalai Lama, and even the Pope. James Cameron got one and he took it on his deep ocean dive. All of the Cousteaus are running around with marbles, I'm sure. And then we put the marble on the spine of the book so that when it's on the shelf, it's easy to find if you don't have your glasses on. And then the last chapter of the book explains kind of a longer version of what I just said. And it's fun and it's playful and it's full of gratitude. And it's a pay it forward, heartfelt gesture that sometimes surprises people. If you walk up to someone and you give them one of those marbles and they're not expecting it, you could make their day, you could make their month, might, might be the nicest thing that has happened this year. And it's, it just does that. So we know how powerful gratitude is. The neuroscience of gratitude is a thing. You know, you can Google that now if you haven't read about it. And the neuroscience of happiness and optimism. And so I don't bury my hand, my head or my hands and hide from the challenges and the bad news. And we've discussed some of it, but I do recognize what works for me and being sad and burnt out is not me at my best. I need to be spreading optimism, solutions, things that work, playful joy, the sense of peace and freedom that we get from a healthy ocean. And the more we see 
the healing benefits of healthy waters for our veterans and our first responders, our teachers, the people who go to work on our behalf every day to really try to solve problems, fellow environmentalists, journalists, we see them healing themselves. That creates a very positive, uh, regenerative feedback loop, I think. They become water and ocean advocates because they've felt it. They've experienced the healing. I mean, people really on the edge for a variety of reasons get on a surfboard in Santa Cruz with groups like Operation Surf and get off the surfboard and say, I want to live. I want to fight for that ocean. And I want to take other people to the ocean with me. That's how you build a blue movement, not just by scaring people. Uh, you know, fear is a motivator. It's a really good motivator, but it will burn you out. And you can't run fast very far. So that's the blue marble story. That's kind of why we I always have one or two, sometimes five in my pocket, so I can pass them on. And you know, when I'm walking in the park or at a beach or even in a grocery store and I see someone brought their own bag, I'll just say, hey, right on, fist bump, here's a blue marble. And their eyes light up and sometimes they say, tell me more about this. And, and we have a heart-to-heart -heart chat and it's, it's always good. I've never had anybody get mad about giving them a blue marble. Well, it's a beautiful story. And I think it's a great way to get kids involved too, because to them, I mean, what kid doesn't want some marbles to play with? Right. And so propelling that message forward in a fun, thought provoking and conversation starting way is something that's just genius. Thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. I will say too, that it is incredibly hard to stay motivated some days when you read the latest report of, you know, permafrost melting and damaging a riverbed or, you know, hey, we didn't get to shut down this dam and instead they're starting a new project around it or whatever that thing is, you know, the latest report from the IPCC and then seeing like ocean acidity climbing. It's easy to get to a point where it just feels like, well, what's the point if you let it? And the only way out of that is by staying a little optimistic and keeping your mind on the solutions too. I have sometimes wondered, like this podcast is called Care More, Be Better. Like it's an invitation to care more about an issue so we can create a better world. And as I'm reading some of the science, sometimes I'm like, I, I almost want to rename it as a joke, care less, do worse, or care less, be worse. And just do like an April Fool's thing and make this like really angry podcast episode about how terrible everything is. But then that's anathema to the purpose. And so I find myself just kind of going back. It's like, no, no, I obviously am just having a bad moment or a bad day. I need to recenter myself and I need to get more optimistic and I need to stop reading all the bad news. Maybe I need to today, I'm going to go look for good news. And sometimes it can even be surprising where that comes from. You know, yesterday I learned that one of my friends was going to a symposium in San Francisco all about the zebra fish. And I'm just like, well, wow, I didn't know about this. What can I learn? And so it led me down a rabbit hole that was actually intriguing and thought provoking and insightful and kind of optimistic. So, you know, why not? <laughs> Love that. It's not over yet. And the ocean is amazing today. It's got some problems to solve and big ones, but I've worked on studying and protecting the black sea turtle for three decades, and it is doing better today than it was three decades ago. And we should 
celebrate those wins, obviously just lean back and stop, but, and then study them. Like what worked? How did it work? But too often we go right back to everything that's wrong. Don't glean the lessons from what worked. And so that's a challenge to reconfigure our, the way we educate people who are going to do this kind of work and how we communicate. And then it draws more people in when, when you start with a success story and then you say, now let's apply this to this crisis or Mm -hmm. this extinction challenge. Let's look at this success story and try to apply it here. That feels more motivating to me. And we do need motivated people who will give nothing short of their entire lives to working to fix what's broken and in ourselves, in each other and, and in nature. So we want to do that well. We want to attract the best and the brightest and most creative and passionate people. And scaring the heck out of them when they're six years old might not get us there. As I said, as a dad, it didn't work when my kids were six. They stopped wanting to go to the beach with me. Um, oh, yeah. So I had to rethink my approach. And we started having more fun, more yeah, joy. I started taking fun. my kids on beach cleanups after like 4th of July and things like that. And what's so amazing about our local environment here is there are so many people already doing that, that by the time we got there, there's like nothing to pick up, <laughs> which is fantastic. I mean, yeah. that's that's not the case everywhere. But that's true. you know, just like making it an adventure, I think, is really important for them when they're little and scaring the crap out of them. That only works for a very short moment. Yeah. 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 And if you do it over and over again, you may be doing some lasting damage to the young minds. So well, where do we think eco and anxiety came from as exactly. like a concept, right? People get anxious and think about the peril and doom more than they think about the solutions that they could be creating and things they could do to make a difference too. So yeah. now I want to mention because I got through this book really quickly. And part of the reason I got through it really quickly was I'm intrigued, right? But I got the audiobook version from Audible and you read it. That's right. And I didn't know that when I first read it. I mean, listened, right? I heard the intro by the granddaughter of Jacques Cousteau. And I was like, wow, this woman is really intriguing. She's telling a great story. And then you start the process of reading the book to us. It is one of the best read audiobooks I have ever encountered. Oh, wow. So I'm just saying kudos to you because I do. I read a ton of audiobooks. I'm a podcaster. I'm an audiophile. And there are a few out there that are just a joy to get through. And it's like, you just don't want it to end. And that's how I felt about your book. In its audio format, incredible. And so you deserve a complete round of applause. I'm going to be writing you an extensive review on Amazon for Audible. Oh, great. As soon as we conclude this interview, because again, I'm, I mean, I just think everybody, if they, if they are somebody who likes to listen, but doesn't have the time to sit down and read. This is an incredible audiobook, And so I'll be linking to it for sure. I actually have an Amazon shop too. So I'll put it in there as well because I intend to share this broadly. I was holding my breath as you were telling the story and leading up to your, your glowing review because I remember going into the studio in San Francisco and working with a great team. And after the first day, I called the producer that night and I said, that was harder than I ever imagined it would be. And we had five days left. And I said, feel free to can me now and replace me with a pro. (laughs) uh, And she said, no, you're going well. And 
little side note, she said, bring a picture of your daughter and put it on the clipboard on the script and look at it often so that it makes you smile because you can hear your smile. You can hear a smile. You can. And I, yeah. I just thought that is just good advice. And so that was, I had a little picture of our daughter, Julia, just clipped on the top of the script there with this big goofy smile on her face. And she was five <laughs> years old and she was with me through the reading. So, yeah. Well, this is like for anybody out there thinking, oh, I'm going to go ahead and I'll just read an audio book for somebody. And, you know, people who do this professionally, they're not paid by the hour it takes to record it. They're paid by the produced hour. And as somebody who has edited some of my own patio cat, patio, let's say, I said patio <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> a new, ca a new to, category. A new category. <laughs> I also have done monologue podcasts and the monologue podcast episodes. I edit all those myself. One hour of recorded time ends up being about three and production time because there's little things that happen that you have to adjust for, or maybe you had to, to restate something or wasn't perfect and you go back and re-record that part. It's all work. And yeah. so that it came through as beautifully as it did, you sounded like you'd been doing it your whole life. So great job. Really overcame my stutter. Great producer and editor, I have to say. Yeah. Well, it's, thank you. A lot of the work is in the editing, but you can't fake it. You did a great job. So, I mean, really honored. I'm going to keep this book on my bookshelf. I intend to actually do something a little different too. I'm going to write an inscription in it and put it in my local little free library with a blue marble. Oh, lovely. Because I think that's a great way to pay it forward and just keep talking about this important work because the work that you're doing to both save the sea turtles and help people understand how they can be a part of the positive change that we need in this world is incredible. I want to know, I have two more questions and they'll be quick, but one is, do you ever intend to write a work of fiction? That's really good. I've thought about how would Blue Mind show up in fiction because that generally reaches more people. And so I've thought about, I've thought about that a bit and the Santa Cruz Bay scientist who does her research on neuroscience and water and finds these things that maybe conflict with the pharmaceutical industry. And then it gets really kind of nutty there. And there's some kind of love interest or some, you know, that might be a fun way to weave it in. Mm -hmm. I have written a couple of kids books, but they're both based on reality. One's about sea turtles and one's about wildfire and poetry. And I've written a bunch of poems that I hope to put out in a little booklet at some point. But I'll take that challenge as mm. I did from Dr. Sachs and I'll get back to you with a book yeah. someday. <laughs> well, I, I've been told the same thing several times because to your point in another interview, you said, you know, you might sell 3000 copies of a nonfiction work. You've probably sold more than that, but it's harder to get mm -hmm. the work out via nonfiction. And when you are able to encapsulate something in story, different people read it, it reaches a different audience. Mm -hmm. And I recently had a neuroscientist on this podcast to talk about his work as it relates to the thing that he felt he failed at was his work as an environmental activist. He felt like he failed at it, like the trees that he worked to protect got cut down and things like that, right? So he wrote a work of fiction, it took him 25 years, and it's a really good book. It's called A River Divided by George Paxinos. And I mean, he's written something like 60 books and nonfiction in his profession, right? But this one was in a completely different arena and yeah. it was a really great read too. 
I will say we're seeing the Blue Mind concept show up in lots of creative outlets. So uh, there's an, if you go to Spotify and look up Blue Mind, you'll find some songs called Blue Mind mm. that are inspired by this book. You've got, uh, there's a Blue Mind coffee roaster in Indianapolis, and there's a Blue Mind gallery in Nova Scotia. There's a Blue Mind tattoo parlor somewhere, and a Blue Mind dive shop in Europe. And so people have taken the, the concept and put it into all kinds of places and contexts. And so that's by design. You know, we've mm -hmm. approached this as a, you know, our goal is to make Blue Mind common knowledge and common practice for everyone. And by everyone, we mean just over 8 billion people. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we have to get out of the nonfiction genre sometimes yeah. and have conversations like this on podcasts and yeah. talk to journalists in newspapers and magazines and work with songwriters and perhaps fiction writers as well. So it's a good point. Yeah, well, I have expected you to say, it's a great idea, you do it. You do it, yeah. <laughs> okay, is that an offer? <laughs> Maybe I'll write it. Maybe I'll write it. All right, so I think I'm clear on what your mission and goal is now, and it's ultimately to get this concept in front of more people. Do I have that right? True, and all people. And I know that sounds audacious, but we're on our way, for sure. Yeah. Eight billion is only a small number if no one else is talking about it, right? That's right. Well said. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've thoroughly enjoyed this and I look forward to the next time we get to connect. And anytime that happens to be, hopefully one day we can meet for a cup of coffee or a walk by the ocean in person because we're not too far from one another. There are turtles. There are leatherback turtles in the Monterey Bay. They're hard, hard to find, hard, hard to see. They're way out there eating the jellyfish, but Maybe yeah. The only time it. I've seen a leatherback underwater was actually in Hawaii too. I went into an underwater cave and there was this giant leatherback at the wow. bottom of the cave, just sleeping. Wow. <laughs> I was nuts. like, oh my God, like just huge. That's the only time I've seen one underwater because I think they can hold their breath for a long, long time. They sure can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, we'll have to do another podcast that's all turtles. So turtles all the way down yes, yes. <laughs> some point soon thank you so much for joining me today oh, my pleasure thank you for inviting me to learn more about dr wallace j nichols and his work please go to his patreon page where you can make a contribution on a monthly basis if you so choose that is www.patreon.com slash wallace j nichols I will be sure to include direct links to everywhere you can find him active with show notes, including a direct link, of course, to his book, Blue Mind, and also those children's books that he mentioned. Now, as always, for my complete and expanded blog, which includes transcripts, links to everything we discussed today, including interviews with past guests that I think you would enjoy, including that deep dive with Simon Setra, with whom I discussed the reality of salmon for farming off the coast of Norway, or Stephen Hawley, when we talked about the perils of dams and the things that we can all do to help with ecosystem return in the Pacific Northwest, or even that interview with Nina Simons of Bioneers as we discussed her book, Nature, Culture, and the Sacred. Visit our blog page for this episode on caremorebebetter.com for all of that and more. It will also be linked with show notes to make it easy for you to find your way there. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, I hope that you'll do two things. One, share it with a friend. Perhaps you'll get a blue marble and pass it on to them. 
or you can also subscribe, write me a review, give us a five-star rating. All of that helps this podcast to reach more people. Not only will you be alerted to the next time we release an episode, but you'll also help us on our mission to bring more great conversations like the one we had today to the forefront. Thank you listeners and watchers now and always for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. We can care more, we can be better, and we can preserve this great blue marble earth. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.